Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. This is the first podcast of 2017, and we hope you had a fantastic new year and that you managed to spend it with those that you love, or at least are on a friendly terms with. Way back in March of 2016, episode 60 to be precise, we interviewed South African tech journalist, media analyst, and commentator Arthur Goldstuck about his path to geekdom. During the interview, Arthur revealed that he'd written a number of books on urban legends, a topic about which he was then invited to present a panel at at Icon Comics and Games Convention in June. Co-host Vittorio Leonardi and I were able to chat to Arthur on stage about the topic in general and how South African urban legends were similar to, or departed from, the general themes of those from around the world. We pass this over to the diva for her rating. Franco, what did the diva have to say? The diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it... Completely salt-free. Thank you kindly to both Franku and the Diva, but for now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, and co-host Vittorio Leonardi as we release The Geek with Arthur Goldstuck on the topic of South African urban legends. And now, we're releasing The Geek. <laughs> what is your profession? So, Arthur. You are a tech journalist, you're a media analyst, you're a futurist. Urban legends doesn't really seem to fit in that, does it? <laughs> how, did you get, how did you get into it? What was it about the urban legend? Because if I was to think about today, in today's society, with the connectivity that we've got, it's very, very easy for us to go, oh, it's just a chain, it's an urban myth, but they can propagate well. I'm casting my mind back to the days of the fax machine and the printed letter that you need to do 20 copies of this handwritten if you don't your dog will give birth to a cat and crap like that how did you get into urban legends when did it start for you well i'm not busy in the early hours of the morning so i have to do something to uh, keep me occupied then but uh, the the reality is that um, I grew up in a very small town in the southern mm -hmm. free state right and i credit that um, upbringing and that environment with my interest in science fiction and then my interest in computers mm -hmm. and the internet. So it was really a case of being so isolated that I was desperate for something <laughs> that would connect me uh, with the world. Right. And in our local public library there was one shelf of science fiction books mm -hmm. and at about the age of seven or eight I began devouring those uh, mm. books. So. Uh, I was, uh, I was uh, nurtured on Heinlein, Asimov, Clark, Bradbury and uh, company mm -hmm. and uh, just loved the concept of what the future could be if it was like science fiction. And uh, that began my passion for uh, what technology could do. And the moment um, I was able to uh, start exploring technology and start writing about it, I did. Mm -hmm. So when mm -hmm. the internet came along, mm -hmm. I was waiting for it. Uh, when the next big thing comes along, I'm waiting for it, mm -hmm. um, which is why I'm not intimidated by the rapid pace of change. Sure. Now, the urban legend side of things actually tied in with that because growing up in this very isolated environment, I had the feeling that um, I didn't understand how the world works. Mm -hmm. And there, there was a kind of underlying 
truth and reality that, that eluded me in uh, that environment. And among other things, um, I, I went to boarding school and late at night we would share stories that we'd mm -hmm. heard. Uh -huh. And many of these stories uh, were presented as real stories, sc very scary stories. Sometimes mm -hmm. the story about the lunatic who escaped from the asylum and... Um, oh, that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 famous, the, the famous story around the world of uh, these two uh, lovers in a car on top of a mm -hmm. hill or on Lover's oh. Lane, mm -hmm. and uh, the news comes over the radio that the lunatic has escaped. Mm -hmm. And um, the girl says, let's get out of here, I'm scared. And he says, no, 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 and she insists, and eventually um, he, in a huff, um, revs the car and accelerates mm -hmm. away. And, uh, oh, by the way, the lunatic had a hooked hand. That's yes. how uh, yes, identifying. Yes. yes. And they get to her house, mm -hmm. And I suppose in a fit of chivalry, he decides mm -hmm. to go around and open her car door uh, for her. Mm -hmm. And uh, before he can open the door, he promptly faints. And um, <laughs> she uh, has no idea what happened. There's, various, mm -hmm. there's variations on it. Sure. In some versions, the parent comes out, mm -hmm. tells the kid not to get out of the car, whatever the case mm -hmm. might be. But generally speaking, what they discover is mm -hmm. the severed stump of the hooked hand mm -hmm. hanging from the, uh, the door handle. Door handle. Right. So that was a story I fully believed, and I fully believed mm. it happened on Naval Hill in Bloemfontein. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they have to pick Bloemfontein of all places? I mean, essentially the story is about the maiming of an already injured human being. Mm -hmm. Well, because there was a lunatic asylum, so that's what they ah. called it in Bloemfontein, mm -hmm. there's really a sanatorium called, um, I forget what it's called, but they called it Krundakis, and apparently there's a mm -hmm. Krundakis uh, in, in one every in, city. In, I think, Pretoria or Johannesburg. Yeah. All yeah. over the world, they have this kind of institution from which lunatics escape with hooked hands. I'm just, I'm just stunned because so, I've heard the story in Oz, I've heard the story mm. in the United States and in Canada. The number of mentally disturbed hooked hand people yes. that manage to escape from I presume what happens is when you have a hooked hand, you become mentally disturbed. It's, is is there a correlation here? Yes. Maybe it's just, I mean, it's but an also very skilled at escaping <laughs> from uh, asylums. But surely it's a mental asylum. You would take that away. I mean, that's just, this is, oh, you're unstable. Here, have yeah. something sharp and pointy. Yeah, did well, he raid the cupboard to get it out before he left? It was just oh, going, scissors, that. no, okay. machete, oh. hook, that's <laughs> the one. Now, the people running the asylums also a bit uh, unhinged because yeah. of the exposure <laughs> In many uh, ways. to people with hooked hands. Is that, so, the, is that the first urban legend you remember? That, that was hearing. the one I remembered most vividly. There yeah. were ghost stories as well mm -hmm. that I grew up with that turned out to be urban legends. But that one mm -hmm. I remembered very vividly. And then discovered the same story being told in Johannesburg when I came to university mm -hmm. here. And um, I realized that, in fact, underpinning or underlying this uh, reality that mm -hmm. we all move about in and the stories that we all believe is actually a psychological component that dictates what we believe rather mm -hmm. than a reality um, that we uh, can objectively see mm -hmm. is uh, true. Right. And I began dwelling on that idea in my early days as a, as a journalist, and I was fascinated by phenomena of popular culture, mm -hmm. and that ranged from how computers were being used in the early days through to rock music. During the 1990s, I was South African correspondent for a billboard magazine, so um, I was a music mm -hmm. journalist for uh, something like uh, 20 years, right. in between also being a technology you have many hats. So have many I wore hats. many hats, but many there was hats. a lot of intersection between these uh, many mm -hmm. areas, and mm -hmm. especially 
with urban legends, I found that they were coming from all directions. They mm -hmm. came from the world of computers, they came from the world of mm -hmm. um, music and popular culture. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, a lot of um, uh, uh, songs are composed around um, urban legends. Right. Really? There was one a, what was a famous example um, of that? I, I can't think offhand, but mm -hmm. the, the one song that, that encapsulates it um, is really a horrible pop song, uh, <laughs> which goes, I heard it from a friend of a friend of a friend. Ah, uh, yes. Um, mm -hmm. And that actually sums up what urban legends right. are about. Mm -hmm. So rumors, myths, gossip, and mm -hmm. so on, are strongly tied in to um, urban legends. Mm -hmm. But what then happened was that um, someone loaned me a book that he thought I would enjoy. And this is a fellow journalist by the name of Gus Silber, mm -hmm. who's also a well-known uh, writer. Right. And he lent me a book called The Vanishing Hitchhiker by Jan Brunvind, an American uh, folklorist. Mm -hmm. And from almost the very first page, I began recognizing the stories. Mm -hmm. And the lunatic with the hooked hand yep. leaped out of those pages. And because mm -hmm. that story had made such an impact on me mm -hmm. um, as, as, a, as, a, as a kid, the mm -hmm. book as a whole had massive resonance uh, for me. Mm -hmm. And I decided to write to Brunvind. Sure. And I rattle off 10 stories that were in his book that I knew from my environment right. as local urban legends. Mm -hmm. And he very graciously wrote back and said, why don't you write a book on South African urban legends? What would be, so we've already accepted that there's, there's something, there's a commonality with some of these urban legends. You're going to go everywhere. You're going to find the uh, pervasive maniac with a hook hand. What is a quintessential South African urban legend? The problem with quintessential South African urban legends is that you discover they quintessential global mm. urban legends. <laughs> right, there is But, there but, is but the, the truly great one, because mm -hmm. um, South Africa has the best version of it uh, in the Ooh. world, <laughs> is one of the great ghost legends. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered um, after the first two or three urban legend books, I've written six now, but uh, the first uh, two books, um, ghost stories kept coming up as urban legends, and okay. I began realizing that ghost legends were as, as a very distinct category of, of uh, urban legend, mm -hmm. because people believe in these based on their cultural beliefs, mm -hmm. whereas urban legends is what you believe based on um, what you hear from people and so the kind of stories beliefs. that spread, whereas right. ghost stories and your experience of ghosts are discovered through urban legends is very much predicated on what your cultural beliefs are in your cultural um, mm -hmm. environment. So um, if, if you are uh, an, a Christian Afrikaner, for example, mm -hmm. you have a very different perspective of ghosts than if you um, a Cape Muslim, uh, right. for example. Uh, the, the Cape Muslim culture is, comes uh, very strongly from uh, what they used to call uh, Dutch East Indies, mm -hmm. uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, and those countries. And there you had a very different version of Islam to what you had in uh, the Middle East, for example. Okay. There was a strong element of mysticism and right. magic associated with that. Mm -hmm. And that version of Islam has a massive impact on Afrikaners' ghost beliefs because really? the early Afrikaners, the Dutch burghers, as mm -hmm. they were called then, were very often the outcasts from uh, the Netherlands who were sent uh, to the Cape right. to get rid of them. Right. And they were very often illiterate. And they would have slaves in their kitchens who had been brought from Indonesia and those areas. And those slaves were often the aristocracy of uh, the oh, East wow. Indies. And they were highly literate. And not only could they um, 
read and write Arabic, but they very quickly learned uh, to uh, read and write Dutch as well. Right. And they would often be the most educated person in the household. And their uh, culture and their beliefs mm. very quickly took hold amongst Afrikaners. Not the religious culture as such, mm -hmm. but the belief system in terms of the psyche right. of um, the individuals. Sure. So what I'm getting at there is that the, um, let, let's call it the, almost the magical, realis the, the magical realism side mm. of East Indies um, Islamic beliefs were heavily mm -hmm. influenced by um, that region. Sure. That influence was brought to the Cape and that became an influence in Afrikaners' uh, beliefs mm. in ghosts. So there's, there's a term in, mm. uh, in Afrikaans called Khulere, uh, which translates very loosely as uh, spell casting. Now, okay. there, was, there was no history of that in uh, the supernatural beliefs in terms of how ghosts uh, operated in Western culture. Right. But that came directly out of um, the Cape Muslim culture into Afrikaner culture, and okay. Afrikaners uh, still to this day especially traditional ones, rural ones, mm -hmm. believe very strongly in this concept of khulere uh, or, 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 or that form of spell casting as being responsible for a lot of the supernatural events that they might experience. Interesting. What but, is the... Uh, sorry, sorry mm -hmm. what, what regions of South Africa would you actually fall that into? I mean, is it something that would be more you'd find in what, like Namaquiland, rural Eastern Cape and those areas? Acro across rural South Africa. Okay. Um, in, in, in past years it would have been urban as well, but now it's very much um, oh, a rural uh, phenomenon. So anything ghostly that happens, you very, or supernatural, mm -hmm. or that's believed to be supernatural, you'll often find that people will look for um, uh, materials that have been planted somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, pre yes. Pretty much uh, the way uh, dark moody works um, oh. in black culture mm -hmm. as well. So, uh, for example, a lot of soccer teams have a Sankomo uh, berries muti behind uh, the gold. Um, that, by the way, has become very much uh, unacceptable. Uh, but it right. was common in the um, uh, up to the, the the early 90s, mm. uh, in fact. That's so, uh, but the Afrikaner equivalent is that something would have been planted in the um, home or in the environment of the home. Okay. over which a spell would have been cast, which would have resulted in bad luck or terrible things right. befalling uh, the home. Uh, um, just this, the thing of planting stuff, does this somehow relate, because it seems to be a very similar practice, the practice of people um, who use uh, dark voodoo and voodooin, because the same thing of planting, yes. like, well, it's a matchbox with this thing and the stuff and you Correct. put it under Correct. the stairs and Correct. then someone's head explodes. Correct. Well, uh, <laughs> Maybe well, not I'm paraphrasing, but certainly but yeah, yeah. Uh, they might catch fire. I don't think that's how the spell um, was written, but all right. So, no, but this so, is if you add curry powder as well. Oh, right. Is that based on the... Is the size of the explosion based on the power of the curry? No, that's if you get the voodoo book and then you accidentally reach for the cookbook and then... Gotcha. Okay. So we've mixed things up. Yes. <laughs> um, we've got, uh, got a tech. There we go. So it's from the, the question that, um, uh, that I'd like to ask from uh, something you just mentioned. You said that the, there was a particular ghost story that, um, was, that, that had a very South African flavor that, was, that made yes. it the best version. I, I was, was working my way to that. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, thanks for bringing me back on track. Sure. Because this is the story of the ghost of Uniondale. 
And I did look into that story in my second mm -hmm. Urban Legends book, which is called The Leopard in the Luggage. Mm -hmm. But I realized after writing that book that there was so much more to be said mm -hmm. about ghost legends that I eventually uh, produced this book. Shameless plug. Uh, there we go. The, the ghost that closed down the town. It's available as an e-book today. It's not, mm -hmm. a, it's not in print anymore, but okay. you can buy it as an e-book um, right. online. Which, uh, which website? Uh, the Penguin Books website, mm -hmm. Penguin Books in South Africa, but I think mm -hmm. it's available on Amazon as okay. well. Right. Uh, but if you want the ebook, you can buy it directly from Listen, Penguin. If we're going to do shameless plugs, we go all the way. So. <laughs> yeah. right. so this book took 10 years to write because I really decided to do a definitive uh, work on uh, the supernatural beliefs of South Africa mm -hmm. and how they affect um, the stories that are, are told. Right. And uh, among other, I had the privilege of interviewing the Rain Queen um, the previous rain queen. There's now a sort of a rain queen in waiting and there's a regent who runs the affairs mm -hmm. of um, her uh, kingdom, so to speak. What is the rain queen? The rain queen is Queen Mojaji, mm -hmm. who wow. basically um, rules over a small patch of land in Limpopo province. Okay. And she's just been given um, equal status with the other um, uh, Kings or monarchs, Cultural let's leaders, say, okay. the, the, the traditional monarchs of, of South Africa. Right. But the, the Rain Queen story goes back a few hundred years. I won't dwell too much sure. on that uh, history, except mm -hmm. to say that it inspired, amongst other things, um, uh, Ryder Haggard's book, She, is, oh. is inspired by the Rain Queen. It's a real person who supposedly has supernatural powers. Um, mm -hmm. But I questioned her about that specifically. I had a translator, mm. incidentally, because mm. she couldn't speak uh, English right. uh, or Afrikaans, uh, for that matter. So I had a translator. And mm. um, she, in fact, explained she's not supernatural. She doesn't have supernatural powers, which is quite a breakthrough, because in the past, mm -hmm. the rain queen would never have admitted this. Mm -hmm. She said her job is actually to bring the people together to pray for rain. Okay. So she calls um, on higher powers to bring rain, but mm -hmm. she herself can't make right. it rain. Mm -hmm. So that, that was probably the highlight of, of researching the book for me, but it took 10 years to, mm -hmm. uh, to produce the book. But it started off with that one legend of the vanishing mm -hmm. hitchhiker. And South Africa's uh -huh. version of the vanishing hitchhiker is uh, the ghost of Uniondale. Right. And Uniondale is a, a little town um, not far from uh, Utenhaig. Mm -hmm. And um, on the way to uh, Uniondale, there's um, a, a turn-off where supposedly this hitchhiker, a woman in a white dress, would stand waiting mm -hmm. for uh, someone to pick her up. They would pick her up and she would promptly disappear. So that particular story is told around the world mm -hmm. and it's known as the vanishing hitchhiker. Yeah. And it's so common and so popular that Jan Brunvind, um used it as the title of his first mm -hmm. uh, book, The Vanishing Hitchhiker. Sure. Typically what happens is the woman gives the uh, driver her address. She, he drives to that address. On the way there, she disappears. Is it a front seat, back seat thing? I think I remember that there was a, it, she always climbs in the back. Or it she varies. Always climbs, okay. It varies. Right. Um, in the South African cases, she tends to climb in the front. Mm -hmm. But while the driver is focused on the road, she suddenly disappears. And there's just a puddle of water on the seat. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So it's quite a messy operation. <laughs> um, in other versions, um, there's a sudden scream and he looks and she's gone and uh, the door has swung open. He stops, looks for her. That's a little bit what you <laughs> Yeah. That's nice. That's but just he, mean, actually. <laughs> absolutely. How can you scare your uh, benefactor like that? That's but, terrible. Yeah. He, he then drives to the address that uh, she gave. Mm -hmm. and Gets the full story. 
yeah, a very sad person opens mm-hmm. the door and says, is this the woman you picked up, mm-hmm. shows a photo? That's my daughter who died mm-hmm. on that spot 10 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in one case, it's a, a, a motorbike rider who gives her yes. his uh, leather jacket. That's the one I And she disappears the off the back of the bike with her Stealing leather a jacket. jacket. Yeah. What a jerk. Yeah, ghosts are... Not the, always. The version that I was told is that it, that it really goes on is as she disappears with his jacket. He then turns around, goes back, and there's a cemetery, and he finds the jacket over a gravestone. Oh, see, that's so nice clearly son. she leapt off and went for a walk. Yeah. Wow. I said, don't need that anymore. Well, at least that's a decent ghost. You get the jacket back. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's nice. <laughs> the, other, the other version of that is he goes to the address. They mm-hmm. tell her where uh, she's buried. Um, no. He goes to huh. uh, the cemetery and finds her gravestone, and there's his jacket hanging gotcha. over the gravestone. Okay. Is, that the, uh, is that the key difference that makes the Uniondale story? No, that's, that's a variation on the Uniondale oh, it's just variations, okay. And it's also an international variation. Mm-hmm. What makes the Uniondale ghost so um, uh, specifically South African is that it has the most named eyewitnesses. So what you find with most oh. versions of the vanishing hitchhiker is that there's no named eyewitness. It was a friend of a friend. It was a friend of a friend. It was classic urban legend. Mm -hmm. In this case, there were at least three people who came forward and claimed that one or other version of that happened to them. It really happened to me. And these people were interviewed in depth at the time. There was a journalist who used to write for, I think it was called the National Enquirer, Mm. which wasn't known for its objective journalism. That's a prestigious publication, yeah. But uh, uh, when people submitted stories from other countries. Mm-hmm. They were required to do extensive checking. And this journalist's name was David Barrett. And he, at the time, covered the story for a National Enquirer. Mm-hmm. He subsequently uh, wrote an in-depth version of it for Sunday Times magazine, as it was uh, back then. And um, I uh, got to know David and, in fact, interviewed him about his uh, interviews about... Right. Um, the experiences of the ghost. So I kind of have it secondhand. So gotcha. it's a friend of a friend, not a friend of a friend. <laughs> a of a friend, friend of a journalistic friend. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and um, he gave me great detail about each of the people that he interviewed who claim, claimed to have seen uh, the ghost. And when you mm. look deeper into the story, you found there was always a potential reason why they might have told the story or experienced the story. So the one person, for example, was known to enjoy his drink. <laughs> Another person subsequently came to uh, David with a story about UFO sightings that he had had. Wow. And you start seeing a pattern. There's a credibility emerging. issue here. Exactly. Right. Um, there are one or two versions that you can't dismiss in that mm-hmm. way. So there is that element of doubt of whether mm-hmm. it really happened. And there's one further aspect of it, and probably the most significant aspect of the Union Dale ghost, is that she actually has her name. Um, they actually know who the person was who died on that spot back then. Right. And her name is, I think it's Maria Charlotte Rue, mm-hmm. and she died on Easter Friday in 1969, I think it was. So they're even um, down to a date. They even have the date. Right. So her reappearance tends to coincide with um, Easter. Okay. So I mean, have there been any recent death. sightings? I mean, no. has anybody ever, if they have, they haven't come forward? Supposedly, or? about a decade or so ago, um, a team of uh, theologians and exorcists went to the site and <laughs> exorcised really? the site. So she cracked and, and convinced, her to, convinced her to go, uh, go to her rest and um, never to scare motorists again. 
Wow. But even, even before that, for probably about a decade before that, there weren't any hmm. more sightings. Once that original story was written, uh, it was almost as if the urban legend mm-hmm. was uh, put to rest. Well, I'm not afraid of it. She's going to order an Uber. <laughs> I'm, not really, I'm not really intrigued, though, because when, you, when you're assembling your party, you're an old role player, you know this, you assemble your party, you have your tank, have your healer. How, what are the roles for the crack exorcist team? All right. You've got the Hail Marys, you've got the, you've got the garlic, you've got this. That, I, I, that'd be a story that I'd like to write. What, mm. um, considering that we now know that there's consistencies for the, the urban legends around the world, so there's nothing really new, and you've now written six books across the topic, what would you say that's like, this one, this is really cool, and I really, really dig this one the bent on it, etc. Is there one that stands out for you above all? I think the uh, great urban legend about this country is from the 1994 uh, elections, because I thought you were going to go World Cup and a. <laughs> okay, let's the, not talk about the, that. Actually, the coolest <laughs> one is from the World Cup. Now you mention it, yeah. but probably the most important one and the the, the one that had the most impact, mm-hmm. um, and and probably the. the, the um, one of the great examples of an urban legend having an impact globally as well was the belief that um, come the 1994 elections, mm-hmm. when the ANC took power, the blacks would rise up and mm-hmm. wipe out the whites. Drive the whites um, into the sea. So essentially like Uhuru, things. the Night of the Long Knives, that sort <laughs> exactly. of thing. Exactly. That's fact, still doing the rounds on YouTube. Okay. The Night of the Long Knives is what people often refer to it as. Okay. And they still talk about it today. Uh, a lot of um, far-right-wing... Uh, people still believe that it's uh, coming. They're still preparing mm-hmm. uh, for it. Right. But um, in 1994, there was a palpable sense that uh, mm-hmm. something could happen. But generally speaking, it was amongst those people who feared for a democratic South Africa rather mm-hmm. than those who uh, welcomed it. Right. And what you saw happening in 1994 was the belief that there would be riots in the streets, um, people would be massacred, mm-hmm. and um, the South Africa's food supply would run out and therefore mm-hmm. the supermarket shelves would uh, empty out mm-hmm. and you wouldn't be able to buy food anymore. So mm-hmm. there was a run on the supermarkets on tinned foods and candles, and it was real. I went to, into pick and pays to photograph the, oh. uh, the empty shelves and uh, people lining up with their mm-hmm. um, trolleys of uh, baked beans. Yeah. Uh, there was, I think in the subsequent years, as they mm-hmm. had to use up those supplies, there was probably a lot of farting in South Africa. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> And uh, not just in Parliament. Back I, then it was more fear. So, <laughs> I, was at um, a, I was at a Braai a couple of years, uh, would have been about five years ago now, and the, um, the host of the Braai uh, shared a story that, so this was around about 2010, that their parents had only just run out of the toilet paper <laughs> that they had stocked up on <laughs> from 1995. Because <laughs> they, they had a warehouse, they had it on the farm, and they just stocked up. They'd spent everything, stocked it up, but they were set for the next 15 years. Astonishing. Which was, yeah. Astonishing. So the, the, an urban legend so can have a driving it effect It can have like a, that. a massive um, impact. And you, mm-hmm. you've had examples of related urban legends. Luckily, the title story of my 1994 urban legends book was The Ink in the Porridge. And that was a story that uh, Bantu Alamisa told um, at, um, a, about um, the ANC claiming that um, the white people were putting invisible ink into the porridge that invisible they served at, at election rallies. So um, 
the National Party would invite people to election uh, rallies based on giving out free uh, pup and vorse, and in uh -huh. the pup was invisible ink, which when they came to vote, would show up as them already having uh, voted because you used in invisible ink to um, right. show that you use it, we're talking We're talking about the mark. So the elections Correct. in South Africa, you mark the thumb. Yes, the now, now you have a black voted. mark on your thumb, right. but back then it was a kind of uh, invisible ink that showed up under ultraviolet light. But it would have been very specific to a very point. Yes. That's... But so the what's the theory the whole body show up. So, the, yeah. so, so Holomisa <laughs> told the story that people mustn't go to the uh, white people's rallies because uh, the, they would be disempowered. So that story wow. actually goes back a few hundred years uh, and there's variations of it. And one there, of them there's goes... There's hundreds of years variation on the invisible ink storyline. Not exactly invisible okay, ink, right. but the idea that uh, something that... You, that, that was supposed to give you power was mm -hmm. going to disempower you and uh, right. perhaps uh, emasculate you, whatever mm -hmm. the case might be. Gotcha. And an example of that was um, in um, India mm -hmm. in the uh, 19th century when um, the, I think the Sepoy um, uh, units that mm -hmm. were fighting alongside or, or, that, or that were a kind of military unit that was... Mm -hmm. um, allied to the British um, mm -hmm. colonial uh, power mm -hmm. or working for them, they were giving, being given ammunition that was coated in wax and they had to bite open the wax coating to use the ammunition. And the legend went around that the wax coating contained beef fat. Oh, which right. In, no. Which in India was yes. obviously um, mm -hmm. a, a massive scandal, but mm -hmm. the belief went around that this was in fact the case, and this led to the Sepoy Mutiny, which resulted in the massacre of uh, many of the British colonialists there, and mm. resulted in a clampdown by the British on India, and resulted in, in a far more brutal regime in that country than had it existed before. So and an that, urban legend actually led to massive led political to a changes massacre. and a crack? Wow. And that mm. urban legend is the ancestor to the one about the ink in the porridge. Right. And I, I trace the variations on that legend in uh, the, the book, The Ink in the Porridge. So there's th there, are, there are underlying themes in the urban legend, and it's just the faces that are different. Correct. So they talk mm -hmm. about archetypes in urban legends. Mm -hmm. In fact, Jan Brunvind uh, focuses quite strongly on that and uh, shows how each urban legend relates to a known archetype in social uh, mm -hmm. studies, right. uh, for example. But let's go to 2010 quickly, because those are some of the most fun... Um, urban legend. 2010 has, oh, we're talking Soccer World Cup, I'm guessing? Talking about the Soccer World yep. Cup. Okay. And mm -hmm. uh, that, that resulted in this book called uh, The Burglar in the Bin Bag, right. which is mm -hmm. also available as an ebook yes. on uh, the Penguin uh, website, and mm -hmm. hopefully also uh, still in some stores and on Amazon. Sure. But um, the, uh, one of the main motivations of, of this book was the amount of urban legends swirling around the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So just as 1994, inspired a lot of fears and, um, and beliefs. 2010 inspired a lot of myths and rumors, and mostly driven by a British newspaper called uh, the Daily Star, which is the paragon of accuracy and responsible uh, It's right up there with the National Enquirer, right? Mm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, you may remember before the 2010 World Cup, there, there was a, a massive uh, um, undertone of uh, resentment Mm -hmm. of South Africa hosting the World Cup, especially mm -hmm. amongst the British. And the British media 
looks for every opportunity to discredit South Africa's hosting of uh, the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And the Daily Star led that charge. And uh, the two greatest stories was that an earthquake was likely um, to hit Cape Town or Durban, and in particular Cape Town. Cape Town or, or Durban, we're just going to take a shot, yeah. either one. Yeah, okay. but probably Cape Town and probably mm -hmm. as the English team took the field for uh, one of the uh, matches. And that would have to be the Germans that would have done that. It was uh, it was the Germany game because that was in Bloemfontein. Yeah. For some reason, there were no earthquakes predicted for Bloemfontein. But what it turned out was that there was a paper that had been produced a year before mm -hmm. saying that there was a likelihood of an earthquake in South Africa in the next 40 years. Okay, oh, wow. so that's not broad it at all. It could happen any time uh -huh. in the next 40 years. Yeah. So but it probably be, during an English game. It could game. be in June yeah, 2010. Let's... It could be exactly as England takes the field. Oh, what um, they didn't mention, of course, was that Wayne Rooney was quite overweight at the time. And uh, that could have resulted in a Are you saying that was a tectonic issue? Yes. So, so, Rooney was fat event. enough that it... Yes, well, exactly. Well, considering he's also one of the handful of people on the English team that's actually English. So yeah. he has to carry a lot more weight. Sure. And they're yeah. dragging 66 no, exactly. behind them the whole way. So, <laughs> Exactly. So that, that was the, the, the one um, very funny urban legend. And wow. the, the weird thing is, I got hold of the person who'd written that paper. Mm -hmm. And he told me that they did actually interview him. So they did their fact-checking. Mm -hmm. But the way they asked the questions was in such a way that his uh. comments supported their gotcha. uh, argument. And he said, there's no way you could predict where it's going to happen or when sure. it's uh, going to happen, and certainly not Cape Town Stadium. Mm -hmm. But for all the bloggers out there, please start with the headlines tomorrow morning that Rooney causes earthquakes, allegedly. As long as you're throwing allegedly, you should be fine. Uh, the, the burglar in the bin <laughs> motif, please expand on that. So amongst the stories that I explore in uh, this book, so the subtitle mm -hmm. of the book is uh, Urban Legends, hoaxes and mass hysteria. Mm -hmm. So it's specifically about fear uh, mm -hmm. legends. And in fact, my Urban Legends blog, if you go to urbanlegends.org, it gives a lot of examples uh, of that. Urbanlegends.org. That's urbanlegends.org. Urbanlegends.org. Yeah, okay. yeah. um, if we're going to do it, let's, let's go full cheese. And <laughs> it, it, it uh, goes into all these crime and fear uh, mm -hmm. legends. And one of the great crime urban legends is that um, burglars keep coming up with very clever new ways mm -hmm. of uh, robbing you and because there's now so much security around so many homes and electric fences mm -hmm. and uh, remote controlled gates what they do now is they wait at your gate disguised as um, a rubbish bag <laughs> so the black rubbish bags people put out they would then put over themselves pretend to be a bag of rubbish and as you open the gate they would uh, leap out and uh, hold you up. Right, so there's no, so, no actual expectation that we're going to pick this thing up and carry it in. It's just a disguise to wait while you open the gate. It's, yes. it's like a true exercise in patience when the pick-it-up wow. strike hit. <laughs> yeah. This poor exactly. sitting in the heat just going, any day now, any <laughs> no, no, day no, it's now. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> but the fact that people believe that tells you that they'll believe um, anything. The one that's more commonly believed, and I bet there's people watching this right now, people in the audience, who uh, believe this one is the color-coded crimes, mm -hmm. and that's the yes. belief that. Or if they leave um, rubbish on your doorstep of yes. a certain kind. They leave a coke tin. It means uh, um, uh, uh, hopefully an open uh, coke tin. Mm -hmm. um, it means that uh, there's a safe in the house. If they leave um, a yellow mm -hmm. chips packet, 
It means that uh, the people are unarmed. If they leave a red chips packet, they're armed, etc., etc. How would they know? They're Jedi is, knights. Oh, and what the hell are they doing robbing houses? Low-level Jedi. Low-level Jedi. It's like you went to the academy, but gotcha. you didn't qualify. Gotcha. So, no, so I'm taking my hack skills and trying to break it. The, the force is weak in these ones. But <laughs> the origin of uh, that legend is mm-hmm. the, the, the chalk codes yes. that um, hobos used to uh, use, or what they mm-hmm. used to call tramps um, mm-hmm. in the old days. I'm not sure what the politically correct term is. Mm-hmm. Previously, homeless, homeless, previously homeless. financially viable. Nomadic yeah. homeless uh, people, yes. sure. perhaps. Um, but in the UK and the United States in particular, mm-hmm. a kind of language emerged of symbols. Yeah. That, that this be, house would help, the, these yes. people would give food, um, that sort of fierce thing. Fierce dog or armed um, uh, uh, owner who mm-hmm. uh, will possibly threaten you or um, unfriendly person or friendly person yeah. or food or drink or whatever. This is, this is documented. This isn't yes. an urban legend. That is, is well known. Yeah. Okay. Now, that has morphed into a South African crime belief mm-hmm. that criminals are using the exact same concept mm-hmm. but using litter mm-hmm. to um, show what pickings are to be had at right. each home. Surely if they knew, why would they give the warning for other people? Well, you see, because mm-hmm. there's this, this massive intelligence network amongst uh, opportunistic uh, burglars. So, um, and, and they want to share the information. They don't have an internet available to them um, so, on yeah. the streets. When did they become this, the villains in James Bond? This is, an, <laughs> this is an incredibly networked group of people. So this I don't know why the, they're this, is, this isn't the internet of things. This is the internet of litter. Um, <laughs> Because, I mean, what happens if then some dude comes by and actually just picks up the litter, some conscientious dude, and comes back and says, damn it, what color was it? I forget. Is it red? Which one was it yellow? Oh, let's just why, knock on the door. Why would you clear up litter outside a suburban home? Ah, mm. the, uh, Sometimes a chip bag Maybe the dude in the picket-up bag comes along and goes, oh, no, that belongs <laughs> with me. And it's like, Desmond, you've got to stop doing that. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that there, there is actually a trackable origin to that version of the story. Because I remember seeing, uh, I even saw it, the first time I saw it was on carte blanche, the mm. idea that the positioning of the rocks and the yeah. angle of this yeah. outside of the farms that signals certain things, and there was, right. a, there was a big beat up about that. But that was, that was done years ago. To say that there is it's just a development of an origin story is quite impressive. It's, it's fascinating to, when you explore it, to discover mm-hmm. just how many of these beliefs and urban legends, mm-hmm. in fact, go back a long way and how there are variations of them, not just mm-hmm. over the years, but over the centuries. Mm-hmm. And in, in fact, um, the uh, Vanishing Hitchhiker story goes back to the Bible, when um, one of the prophets, I think it was Isaiah, was taken up to into heaven. Jerusalem, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, he was, uh, someone was driving along, this yeah. guy gave him a ride in a chariot, and suddenly the chariot was taken up into heaven, you know. Um, oh. I, I think it was the chariot that, that wow. uh, went up into heaven is regarded as the archetypal predecessor mm-hmm. to the vanishing hitchhiker. At least you didn't lose your jacket, so that's all right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Your toga, yes, your jacket, no. <laughs> so that is version 0.1 uh, beta, mm-hmm. so the beta version. <laughs> it's the original beta urban legend. That's fantastic. For sure. What um, is it uh, with, with the prevalence of the internet? And just the fact that information is available everywhere and social media and instant messaging, etc. Are there any variations? Is anybody getting any, any cleverer when it comes to the propagation of an urban legend out? Or is it still just going to follow 
the same patterns it always has. It follows the same patterns, but it does, does it a lot more quickly. Right. And uh, you find that people will adapt the legend to mm -hmm. um, local mm -hmm. events or circumstances mm -hmm. um, almost overnight. Right. But by the same token, it gets debunked almost overnight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when people still repeat those uh, same uh, myths and stories, after mm -hmm. a few days, they make themselves look very silly because everyone mm -hmm. says, um, follow this link, you can see it's a, it's a nonsense story, it's yeah. not real. Um, it's mm -hmm. been debunked in Snopes. Yeah, Snopes has dropped all be. the time. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, uh, it's made it less funny in a way because mm -hmm. in the days of following paper trails, uh, it, was, it was like a massive discovery when you got to the source of the legend or when you got a new version of the story. Now you mm -hmm. just uh, Google it. And mm -hmm. it's all there. But it's astonishing how many people forget Google when um, they are yeah. outraged or amazed by an amazing uh, story. <laughs> I'm just and they just swallow, swallow it whole. Can you detect the level of gullibility of people by the sheer number of capital, well, caps usage and number of exclamation marks? <laughs> Definitely. In, in <laughs> fact, you can detect the... It's a mathematical theorem. You, you can oh, okay. detect when a warning or a plea... For, uh, for a lost person or mm -hmm. warning you not to do something with your phone, you can detect the level of hoax or mm. fakeness in it by how many capital letters and exclamation marks uh, there are. But right. the exclamation marks obviously following each other. Mm -hmm. So you, you yes. multiply um, the credibility of the story by number of exclamation marks to get the level of fakeness ah. of uh, the story. <laughs> and, and, and now we know. And capital, sequential awesome. capital letters as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed at the number of press releases that have so many capital letters in them talking about this vanished boy that we all now need to find. Yes, okay. exactly. So, yeah, so you're, you're, for a couple of, let's talk about guidelines then. So a couple of guidelines to identify whether something has shown up in your feed or a message is an urban legend. We're talking caps lock, caps issues, exclamation there's points. One simple, around. There's, there's one very simple uh, guideline when you get a warning about something terrible that's happening, criminals or a new form of crime or something that's just gone down at mm -hmm. um, um, Mall of Africa, for example. I'm waiting for right. Mall of Africa Urban Legends, but uh, Cresta Center, for some reason, is, is one of the great magnets for urban legends. So this just happened at Cresta. Did a friend so of a, a friend warning, this? <laughs> uh, No, this is the police. The police have uh, announced this, and the right. police are warning <laughs> everybody. And the police have personally asked me to email everyone I know to ask them to email everyone they know. <laughs> so the moment it's something dramatic that's just happened mm -hmm. somewhere, and you want to just warn everyone mm -hmm. uh, because you've received this warning, you must know that it must be a hoax because mm -hmm. it's going to be announced publicly by the police and not via... A fax but or I'm, I'm getting it to you now. Yes. Well, right. the other clue then, mm -hmm. if someone still uh, doesn't realize that they're not going to be the personal uh, messiah mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. this particular message, then that is when they ask you to send it to everyone you know. Mm -hmm. The moment someone says that, what they're really asking you to do is spam their hysteria mm -hmm. to your mailing list. Make an idiot of yourself to everyone you know. Mm -hmm. Someone who asks you that, obviously that doesn't like you or respect you, or they're just plain stupid. Mm -hmm. Sorry, guys. Sorry mm -hmm. if you've done this, but you're just stupid. Yeah. You, once, once, <laughs> once you've done it, and somebody comes back and you go, no, 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 that's not here. Here's the appropriate snipes. Like, you kind of feel stupid, and then you've just burnt, and then you, mm. you reference everything. You make sure everything's checked, exactly. and then you become the ambassador. 
Well, somebody yeah. has offended me on the internet. I must get over to my keyboard. <laughs> Someone is wrong. Somebody yeah, is wrong yeah. there somewhere. Um, or you, or you become uh, that 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 uh, friend who uh, mentions sort of privately that that thing mm -hmm. that you just sent to everybody. It's not mm -hmm. true. Yeah. Um, and you find more and more people are doing that because mm -hmm. more and more people have burnt their fingers mm -hmm. um, in that way. Mm -hmm. But uh, generally speaking, I think the message has got through to most people mm -hmm. that this is a no-no. And right. if you're going to fall for this, um, you're going to damage yourself more than you're going to, mm -hmm. um, to, to address this one mm -hmm. excuse that people mm -hmm. often give. Mm -hmm. There's no harm in creating awareness. Mm -hmm. There's massive harm in creating awareness. Right. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. They think mm -hmm. that even if it's not true, there's no harm sending it mm -hmm. out just to make people more aware of crime. In South Africa, you want to make people more aware of crime. <laughs> so you're going to send this out because it won't do any harm. It'll just create more awareness because South Africans aren't aware Because you're doing of crime. the right thing. You're doing mm -hmm. a nice thing. Yeah. And South Africans haven't heard that is a crime epidemic. Oh, no. Yeah. Really? No, 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 no. Mm. I've been here for years. I've never noticed. Okay. Oh, <laughs> right, cool. uh, we're actually coming up to the 50-minute mark. So what I'm going to do is throw it open to anybody who does have any questions in relation to urban legend, something, something that a friend of a friend might have told you that you want to check about. Dino. Okay, so the question is Pinky Pinky. Are you familiar yes. with Pinky Pinky, Arthur? Uh, Pinky Pinky was a big part of uh, one of my Urban Legends books and, in mm -hmm. fact, features in The Ghost That Closed Down the Town as this well. This is like you planned it. Nicely done. Well done. <laughs> okay. Pinky Pinky was a half-human, half-animal. Uh, Actually, let me, let me just ask Dino, did you have a specific question about it? Oopsie. There we go. Okay, let's try that. No! Oh. Wait. It wasn't mm -hmm. just in your primary school, but it was just in the toilets. Because for some reason, Pinky Pinky used to hang out in the girls' toilets. A very creepy uh, character. But that's what you get when you're half human, half uh, baboon. I, I apologize, I'm not familiar with the language. Yeah, for <laughs> those of us who don't speak spy, what or, is... Or don't speak female so toilets. Pinky apparently. Pinky was like uh, a modern version of a tokoloshi, oh, or right. tokolos, mm -hmm. but adapted by the feverish imaginations of uh, young children. So it was half human, half animal, and wore a woman's dress, but it was male. So seriously creepy and very hairy as well, which mm -hmm. uh, makes it a little bit worse, I believe. Um, hairy creatures in bathrooms are not uh, uh, particularly welcome. Listen, hairy but creatures in bathrooms are not welcome at any point. Am I the only one who thinks Pinky Pinky sounds like a distant cousin of one of the Teletubbies? <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, it stinky, stinky winky. The hairiness um, and that yeah. could have been it could have been a teddy tubby, but it wasn't round enough. But <laughs> and, and it hung around only in the toilets, and yeah, it, it probably had an ugly new new. It, but failed, <laughs> it failed the marketing support test. No, no, we've done the peer reviews. No, nobody likes Pinky Pinky. You make but, the baby uh, son the, cry. The, the reality of Pinky Pinky was the fear that it um, it, it inspired amongst mm -hmm. especially junior school uh, kids, and the rumor would start that Pinky Pinky had just uh, been sighted in the bathrooms, and it mm -hmm. would be 
mass hysteria in the school, and that's why it also features in uh, the burglar in the bin bag because right. that's about mass hysteria. And there have been um, occasions of mass hysteria at schools around the world. It's not just a South African mm -hmm. uh, uh, phenomenon. Right. It's particularly rife amongst um, schoolgirls hitting puberty. And you mm -hmm. find there's a strong association between that phase and um, the um, a supernatural events around right. um, poltergeists, for example. Mm -hmm. Poltergeist activity is usually associated or linked with the presence of a girl reaching puberty in the right. uh, household. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a strange correlation. Okay. But uh, Pinky Pinky, very similar kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it went far broader than just that um, age group. Sure. And um, especially at schools in townships, but mm -hmm. there were also schools in urban areas where it uh, created great um, hysteria. And there were times when uh, children refused to go to school. And mm -hmm. in some cases, parents who refused to let the children go to school gotcha. because they themselves uh, believed this was uh, something sure. real. Right. And it had to be debunked by mm -hmm. every educational authority imaginable before gotcha. the story died down. Right. So, Dina, in answer to your question, um, Pinky Pinky is very much like the hook-handed What was maniac. Pinky Pinky supposed to do? I mean, when you wandered in the bathroom, what? Did they sell you timeshare or what? That's seriously scary. I don't think it reached that uh, level. It was probably just going to um, scar you for life in one oh, way okay. or another. Right. Just right. time share. We're yeah. actually, uh, that takes us up to our 15-minute mark. So I want to say thank you very much to Arthur Goldstock, our guest, uh, South African expert on urban legends. His books are available if you head on over to urbanlegends.org. Yep. Urbanlegends.org. Uh, now, urbanlegends.org is where you can read more about the legends. Mm -hmm. You can... Yep. Buy the ebooks at uh, Penguin, at the uh, Penguin Books, South Africa. All right. Excellent. Shaffer, free! That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rotten command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back. Mm -hmm.